to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I gotta tell you, uh, we have we have two brothers on today who, uh, well, they had a book come out last year, and they have a singles album that they're just bringing out, and you all know them from their iconic song, I'm Too Sexy, but I'll tell you, I really like the song, You're My Mate, which I want to talk to about them, because I really like it, and it's the Fairbrass Brothers, Richard and Fred, and it's Right Said Fred. How are you guys doing? Yeah, man, we're fine, thank you, mate. We're very well, thank yeah, you. Yeah, we're yes. very good. Yep, yeah. Thanks for having us. Yes, yeah, thanks for having us. Nice to be here. So, um, yeah. I got to talk to you guys. You've, you've had you've had you know a very lengthy career. Yep. What what got you into music? Because I know you before Wright said Fred, you were musicians. You played with different people. But yes. did you grow up with a musical household? Because for two brothers to follow, like my brother could play drums. I sucked at any music. I ended up doing stand up comedy for a career for many years. Completely different, but in the arts. What was right. it like for you? Were you both musicians growing up, or how did this whole career start in this life? Um, I suppose I'm, mom, I'm, mom and dad weren't musical. No, mom and dad weren't musical. Mum sort of. Mum, yeah, was a sort of a frustrated dancer and singer. And singer. Dad, yeah. dad was uh, more of a manual kind of guy, really. <laughs> and um, so we, I started playing guitar when I was about twelve. I started, um, I just fell in love with the idea, having seen a school band, who I thought were pretty dreadful, and I thought I've got to be able to do better than that. So I started um, learning guitar, then Richard um, started, p- picked up the bass about two years later, I think. Um, and we just sort of naturally started writing together. We were never really interested in, loads of bands at the time were playing other people's songs. Well, any friends I had in the music industry, or you know, music industry people in bands, they're all out doing cover versions. That never appealed to us. I only ever wanted to, learn guitar so I could write some songs. So then we went on the road. First tour was 1978. That was with a, a New York duo called Suicide. Yep. On that tour, we did some show. We did a show with uh, Joy Division and a British punk band called The Addicts, all sorts of different bands. And then we were in and out of record deals through the 80s. We, I, I did, we both did a little bit of session work. I played with uh, Bob Dylan in 86, um, which was connected to a film. Richard did some work with David Bowie during the... Loving for Blue Jean period. Yeah, both did a little bit of promo work with Mick Jagger, um, and then we was, we um, we got signed to Capital EMI in 1987 in New York. That went fabulously well, and <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. There was, so we came back and formed Right Said Fred in 1989, I think. What what happened uh, in New York? You both laughed. What happened in New York? <laughs> well, you both you both shrugged that off. We were given a, a development check. Development deal, yeah. The, the development deal. Um, but we, what we got was a personal check from the guy that was looking after managing us at the time. Yeah. Which wasn't anything like the development money we originally... So 50k went missing. 50k, yes. It was meant to pay for our album. Which was meant to pay for the album. But anyway, yeah. it's water under the yeah. bridge. But uh, the, what the, the really interesting thing, I mean, we had a really good time in New York. We were there for about six months or something. Um, and uh, it was it was a very exciting place back then. It was, it was good for us to get away. It was really, yeah. really... A little bit like... What's happened to New York, I think, is what's happened to London, probably. is It's just become a shadow of its former self in many artists, from an artistic point of view. Um, but we had a really good time there, and we just went out and did live vocal to track. That's what we did. Yeah, people thought we were mad, because we used to walk around with a, we had a Walkman with a backing track, backing track on cassette. On cassette, yeah. And I'd yeah. plug my guitar in, we should plug his vocals in there. We just started jumping around this all. Baby, sort of punky. I can't, ima- I can't imagine what it was like. We were nuts, but we got rebuilt. We did the Knitting Factory and we did uh, all the stuff in on Bleecker Street and yeah. a whole bunch of gigs uh, around New York at that time. 
And that's how we got spotted by um, a bunch of uh, record labels uh, at the Knitting Factory, I think. That's how we got the deal with uh, Capital and my yeah. Now, going back to your youth, though, wh who were your influences? Like, where? how did you formulate? I mean, you ended up playing with Bowie and Dylan. Legends. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. who were your influences? I mean, because then you, you, you opened for Joy Division, who were, were a great band. But did you have yeah. certain influences? Because my age, you know, I, I had a brother who played classic rock. I love classic rock, and I'm 59. Okay. So then once, right. once the 80s came... MTV, we're like, holy shit, you know, all these people from England, oh, look at the way they dress, they're all handsome, look, you know, we, we got this scrubby little guy playing, you know, like the California rock, but yeah. who were who were your influences when you guys were younger, like, who did you listen to, I mean, because it, it had to be being over in England, there was such a great scene. It was. It was, yeah, I mean, we were, at the time, we were sort of into the glam rock scene, so we listened to bands like uh, T-Rex and Sparks and uh who else was there only Bowie. Uh, only Bowie, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. um and um yeah dare i say gary gary glitter at the time i know we we we're not allowed to say him anymore but he made some great you know pop records pop records irrespective of his public private life yeah um and um then we were listening to um, you were bob dylan yeah i mean i was, bob I, dylan I, was, I, big. I was a big singer songwriter fan i love paul simon bob yeah. dylan um but in terms of the band sound we kind of um we, we we were attracted. We were talking heads. Yeah, we were the whole New York CBGB thing. We were quite into. Um, Iggy Pop. Yeah, uh, uh, Iggy Pop and um, uh, early Blondie. Uh, television. Marquee Moon is one of my favourite. A, a lot of the stuff we listened to was American. Yeah, yeah. The glam rock thing was very British. Uh, yeah, but glam rock. In terms of other bands, it tended to be American most of the time, mm. and. Um, we weren't really into. We, we didn't never fit into the British punk thing. That never appealed to us. Apart, we did like the Clash because uh, I thought they were good songwriters, just really good pop writers, irrespective of the genre, you know. Um, and um, then we were the new romantic thing. We didn't get into, uh, and then bit by bit we got more into sort of we we got into the whole house scene, which was breaking. Well, you very, did, yeah. I, I, I didn't at all. Yeah, I got into the house scene very early eighties. I was staying in the house. Yeah. <laughs> I was staying in the house. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I kind of um, got into the whole, um, you know, not so much the Chicago stuff, but certainly a lot of the stuff coming out of Ibiza, that sort of, there's some, a lot of the mixes coming out then. And then it was Pump Up the, uh, pump up the Volume by Mars, where I suddenly thought, man, this is this is the way to go. That, that song, <laughs> man, when that would hit the clubs, because I grew up near Philadelphia, uh -oh. I live back here. That, when that's, that, there were certain songs, the dance floor would get yes, packed. That's true. And that yes. always reminded because yeah. it was in a movie called Bright Lights, Big City, and there was, you know, a yes. lot of cocaine used in that. So everyone I saw, yep. that was like, in, in the East Coast, that was like a cocaine song. Everyone associated it because right. of the movie. Right. right. Yeah, I mean, uh, the other one was, um, uh, I, I mean, at the time, I used to listen to a lot, a lot of rock, but I used to, um, uh, not Grateful Dead, um, Deep Purple. I used to listen to Deep Purple oh, yes. all the time. Yeah. Really. So and Led Zeppelin too, really loud. Moment for, didn't we? we did, yeah. I was buying um, Cream Live. Israeli uh, Gears. Yeah, the, and the Israeli Gears I love. So yeah. I think we were quite into the rock thing, but in terms of us it, it being influenced by what we wanted to do, I think it was more of the... It was a sort of songwriter stuff. It was songwriter and some of the quirky more... I, I always thought the New York scene was better than the, the London scene, personally. I thought it was quirky. I thought television and talking heads particularly mm. were a really interesting bands and um i liked a bit of devo or, um, and then we got into beef heart a little bit i don't yep. know not new york scene but got into, into uh, more of the poppy side a lot of 
It was more. It was more the song. I mean, it was more the top line that, of anything yeah. that got us. Either the groove, as Fred was saying, with the EDM stuff and all that, or it was, or it was the top line. So we, would, you know, so I sometimes I listen to Billy Joel for you know the New York State of Mind because yeah. it's just the, the writing is just oh. so good. So it depends what it is. I mean, you, you don't go to you pop for great writing. You go for attitude. Um, so it depends what mood you're in. Um, my favourite thing at the moment, which I can't stop playing, is Jason Aldean. I can't stop playing that. Try that. I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm um, good friends with his drummer. And that opening, that drum solo, is Rich, his drummer, playing that because we met at in the Hollywood Hills at a party from Lucky oh, right. Lara from the Circle Jerks. He has a big house. We met at a party oh, right. and we hit it off. And when he was in town, he used to crash at me and my wife's place. So it's funny you said that because oh, wow. that was that was oh, the wow. drum solo. In the yes, beginning. Yeah. I mean, also there's there's people we listen to now like Frank Black. There's right, not not me stuff, but I, I, there's a Honeycomb. Yeah. His, his album Honeycomb, I really like. There's quite a lot of country, like Chris yeah. Stapleton, yeah, and um, Blake Shelton. Darkest Rucker, uh, I love Darkest Rucker. Darkest Rucker, yeah. yeah. Darius Rucker. Darius Rucker, sorry. Um, and um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a few few things. It's a, a mix actually. We it's, it's yeah, a real real, it is. real mix. My my playlists are quite eclectic <laughs> also we listen to you know ZZ Top and yeah. Leonard, Leonard Skinner and, and all that American stuff you had some rock influences and stuff like that when did you guys start writing music when I mean was it at a certain age because a lot of people don't know you've written for a lot of people but yes. when when did you start sitting there and writing music that you felt confident in because if you're growing up listening to Dylan and you know you're hearing Dylan's lyrics. You're really Ooh. setting a high bar. It's not like you're sitting there hitting you know. You're <laughs> like, oh well, it's Dylan. You're but, absolutely right. Yeah. So when did yeah. when did you guys start feeling like you were getting into the groove of writing? And did you do it together? Sort of. I started on my own. Yeah. Then which I started writing together. But then, um, to, if you're yeah, talking about confidence, I would say, let me think. I think sort of early '80s where we started to feel confident about what we were writing. Yeah. Because we were we were being sort of um, uh, followed, me, during gigs were being looked at by record companies and, and we knew we had a couple of songs that had good hooks we knew we had a, there's, a, there's a couple of songs we had back then and, and the hooks were strong mm. we, maybe the delivery wasn't right the production certainly wasn't right but we knew what we, one thing we knew early on is that for all our faults which there are many sure um, are. we can hear a hook we, yeah. and we're good at spotting hooks in other people's songs and uh, that's one argument we have a lot when we work with other musicians, particularly instrumentalists, like if it's a lead guitar player, piano player, they generally are too busy. And I say, you know, yeah, you've got a hook there, play the hook. You know, it's all great and go diddly, diddly, diddly. That's fantastic. But that, anyone, you know, lots of people can do that. But if you've got a hook, which is why I love Billy Gibbons or Peter Green or those guys, um, they, they, they've got a real ear for understanding what a guitar hook can do. Well, Keith Richards being the obvious guy, but, you know, um, and I think that's a real talent. So I think if we... Well, Early 80s would be the time, I think. Yeah, that's when we started writing stuff and thinking, well, we're getting record company interests. And we started... Um, yeah, we started to get some interest from our writing. Yeah, we, we, we just used to initially. We just used to. It was just two of us, and we would just walk into restaurants with an acoustic guitar. We weren't invited. We'd just walk in, put everybody off their starter, and get thrown out. Yeah, we never played covers. That's, that's just, how it worked. We, we just gate crashed restaurants and, yeah, and just yeah. walk in and start playing. And start playing. The writing was always our big thing. We never played cover versions, and we just thought well, if we can't grab someone with our own stuff, then we're doing something wrong. Mm, exactly. Now, how did, felt that. how did you get the deal for your first album? I mean, was it something that, you know, you already got screwed over in New York, 
So you yeah, know, yeah. anything you sort of get a people have to understand in the entertainment world. You know, there's a lot of bitter taste in your mouth. People all think it's all roses and all. Oh, there's a lot of shit. You get shit on a lot, and that's just that's basically that's yeah, true. Yeah. How did you guys get your first record deal? And and before you got that, how did you stay confident? Because you just got screwed over from New York. It's got to you're young guys. You want to get this stuff going. It's got to shatter you a little bit. It is. Yeah, we're, we're quite. I wouldn't say the most words. I think we're stubborn. We're stubborn. I think we're stubborn. not arrogant people, but we are very stubborn, mm. and we are pretty good at getting back up when we've been knocked down. I don't know why we do, but, but we do. And um, maybe that's our parenting. I'm not really sure. But what happened was we came back from New York. We saw with our tails between our legs because we chucked all our jobs in and told everybody that we had to go back to the same jobs. Had to go back to the same restaurant and the that was great. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, hi. Yeah. How'd it go in New York then? Yeah. So um, <laughs> yeah, we were like fifty odd grand worse off and still yeah. pretty upset about that. But um, what we then decided was um, let's do something. Let's change the flavour. Let's not re re light what we had before let's not rekindle that stuff so i was working for also we had loads of part-time jobs and one of my jobs was working in a local studio just um driving gear around bands and stuff and i mentioned to them and i said do you know a local player is half player who might be up for doing some writing and they said there's this guy rob manzoli so i said cool okay so i gave him a ring and we hooked up and we and we were really blunt from the beginning so we're not going to bore you with any of our ideas and we don't want you to bore us with your ideas. What we're going to do is write something new but that you've never written and we have never written. That we all like. That we all like. Yeah. So we came up with this, well, I think Richard came up with the bass line, and we had this sort of slightly house groove going on. And we tried, we're trying to write this song, and then we're in this basement studio, and it was hot and everything else. And um, this is, this is 90, 1990, about August, September in yeah. London. Yeah. And then Richard just started, with, I think Richard, you've been smoked a bit spliff and stuff, and... So then um, the song was going around and, and the bass line was It's a bass line. So we should start singing e high, too sexy, tall on my shirt. They start singing that, right? So we, I wasn't sure. Then Rob starts laughing, thinks it's hysterical. So then we thought, well, actually, this, this is actually not a bad idea, you know, to being too sexy for something. We just come back from New York, as we said. It was very hedonistic, supermodels. It was a lot of partying going on, a lot of hedonistic stuff. And we were... Think about some of the people we've met. So we start writing this song about these crazy people, actually, particularly the women. They thought they're too sexy. And Richard worked in Nels as well. Yeah, Richard worked in the Nels. Lots of people there who thought they were too Those sexy. Those of you, the beautiful people. Yeah. So well, what, we, what, is, what is Nels? What is Nels? Nels? Nels was a club in New York, very high end, very, uh, you know, dressed to impress. It was Nell from um, Rocky Nell, Horror. Nell from the Rocky Horror okay. Show. Yeah. 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 And it was a very hip club. In the uh, in the eighties, mid mid eighties, and it'd be a queue for days. And Richard was working on the door, and um, I was working at Trash and Fordaville, which is a very famous rock and roll clothing shop in uh, Astor Place. And so we all, we both come across these sort of people. So we had this this idea going around. We start thinking, oh, I'm too sexy. Well, what we what can you be too sexy for? So had this whole list of cities and things and people. And then we thought we don't want people because they come and go. And uh, so let's do things that stay, which is you know, your body and hats, hats, hats Milan, yeah. you, know, city, you know, cities where people are hedonistic yeah. and fashion is a big thing. So we went through all these things and then we had another, then we, Rob had a guitar line, da, 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 and we thought, well, let's just sing the guitar line. We sung the bass line 
So let's so see. Let's tell that. So that I wrote the lyric. The I'm, a, I'm a model. You know what I mean? Clever stuff. Clever stuff. And so, so I, I wrote that, and then, then we then we basically finished the song off, and we worked with a different couple of people, and we realised it needs sort of a house groove. So we worked with a DJ that I knew, and we got this really we got one well, of the single is now people know that was pretty much the demo. And so that's on the on the single. It's a lot of the original demos on that single, a lot, including the vocal. And so um, we start playing it to record companies. They all hate it. They all hate it without even a sign of interest. And and um, you know, I, I mean, everyone. We sent out about thirty cassettes. And, D- and DJs, actually. and DJs. We went everywhere. And the girl from the studio we recorded it in, Tamsin, she was working in the studio, and she said, "This is a hit record." And I said, "Well, we so said we think it is, but no one, no one will touch it." So she said, if I can get this on radio and we get some traction, can I manage you? She's only 17. And uh, <laughs> so we said, yeah, you can do what you want. You know? So um, she goes off and about three weeks later, she says, listen to the, uh, you better tune in to Simon Bates' breakfast show. Which, is, which was a big, big. It was the, I think at the time show. it was the biggest radio show in Europe. It yeah. was huge. So, yeah, we're sitting there and suddenly Simon, Simon Bates, God love him. He plays it from the Aztecs. So I've got this song coming out of nowhere. He said, I don't know what to think of it, but hey, you let me know what you think. So he plays I'm Too Sexy. And apparently the phones go insane. People ringing up, I love this track, all this sort of stuff. And then he plays it again. I think he played it back to back. And then suddenly uh, we would say, oh, this is great. We didn't think much of it, but isn't that fantastic? And so we get back to our gym and we're working. So the, the, the phone starts going, it's newspapers and what's going on with this track? And... And so what happened was is that it got released by a promotions company uh, who did promoting for music and stuff. A record company still wouldn't touch it. So we, so they've basically put a record company, a la- a la- they serviced the label with our track and they invented this record company called Tug. And um, so that basically, going back to the original, how did the first album come? The first the album came out, the first single, which was I'm Too Sexy. We didn't get a record deal until after our second single, which was Don't Talk, Just Kiss, which was also a very big song for us. And then we signed a record deal. So I'm Too Sexy was charting all around the world and we didn't have a record deal. Yeah. Why, why do you think that is? I mean, it's sort of weird, you know, because record companies, they want money. And if yeah. you see two guys who aren't that known, and all of a sudden, your song is people are loving it. You think yep. they'd come up and swoop you up just to you think- contain you to say, you know what? Hey, we <laughs> want to get. We don't want them to escape. Did you ever find out later why people weren't taking a chance? Well, we found out that heads of A and R got sacked for not signing. For not signing. We do know that. That's a that's a that's a fact. Um, record company people years later denied they ever heard it but we know they did and i used to have all the facts all the faxes from saying how rubbish it was but uh, that, that's got long lost in storage i think and um, we never really found out why we you know we've never fitted in as a band we've never we um and once sexy started breaking america obviously sony and the rest of them got on the phone and said we want to sign you mm. at which point we thought well this is breaking without you so why would we sign to you now so we never have signed a major record deal um we sort of stuck to our independent guns um we never found why, why why they hated it so much. I don't know why they didn't sign it when 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 the biggest radio station was playing it. I don't know. Um, and well, you know, I, I think there's something about us that we just we 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 kind of pull back whenever we sense the big machine coming in. Yeah, we don't like it. We we just yeah. do. And if when you know you walk into some record company foyer and the carpet is six inches deep. And there's, you know what I mean. And you just get this feel. I don't want to be. Do I want to be a part of this? You know, this it just doesn't feel. Right, and we yeah. we're actually 
although we're poorer now than we ever have been, um, <laughs> we are happier yeah. than, we, than, we've ever, than we've ever been. I yeah. think that's probably it. So yeah, we play, when the, sorry, go. No, go ahead. No, when, when the band, when it first broke, we, we did what we were told. Yeah, we did. When the, when the label and subsequent labels around the world said jump, we did say how high. And then after about, I think it was at the Brits <laughs> in 92, and we had a number one album, number one single, uh, and a number one in America. I think that's what it was, and and the, and all and loads of other ones around the world. And the and the and the Brits, which is the British Music Awards, uh, they completely ignored ignored us. And we thought, well, if they aren't going to take any notice of us when we've got this success, then we're clearly not part of a club. We're, we're clearly not in in this club. And at that point, we just started to back off, and we thought. Uh, we had stuff booked, we went to America and we did what was expected of us. But once that was done, we started backing off quite a lot because we didn't, the, the machine just, it's so not for us. So we started, we started, you know, we became very, we purposely became very difficult with our record company. Um, and uh, they, they actually moved offices, our record company. Without telling us. They didn't tell us. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, what was it like as the single is blowing up in America, the video's blowing up in America? Yeah. The video, I mean, it's iconic. You guys, are, you know, it's not you're two different, different looking guys. You know, it's just it's a great video, and people remember it. And I mean, I remember when that song came out, and everyone loved it. What was it like for you coming back to America from when you left with your tails between your leg, leaving New York? When you came back, what was the yeah. experience like when America pretty much embraced you? Yes. Yeah, it, it was a bit of. It was, know, frightening. it was frightening. It was frightening, but it was also it was frightening. a lot of, I fucking told you so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was quite a lot of that going on. Yeah. We thought we told you we'd do this. And uh, and so we, we obviously people who had been working with us contacted us and suddenly, oh, guys, always love your work, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it was great. It was fr- it was terrifying because of the speed of the record and we couldn't really catch up with it. Um, but also it was very re- rewarding. You see your name top of the billboard. You know, um, you're getting accolades from all sorts of people. Shows every show is sold out, um, and that's a very good. That's a good feeling, and it and, and it makes you think. You no, know we we got this. We got this right. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, it was great. I mean, I'm not going to deny it. It's fantastic. I just think for us, what happened was our celebrity status overtook our music, music status yeah, very was, quickly. Yeah, it did. That must be hard because you know, as you said, that song you think, and then you have the certain look. I mean, you must yeah. be getting recognised everywhere. I mean, it must yes. have been something, you know, both in America and over back in London. I mean, what is it yeah. like when all of a sudden your your privacy is yeah. disappears? Now, given, I know there's a lot of fun, there's a lot of free drinks, there's a lot of stuff in the beginning, but after a yeah. while you're like, Jesus, okay, can I just go out and get a cup of coffee? I don't need, I don't need someone buy it. But what was it like for you guys when that was starting to happen? Did you... Did you get closer as brothers, or did you spend time apart? Because you going out together, people are going to recognize. Oh, there's, there's right said Fred. But what was it like? Yeah, what was that you... part of your life like? And did it put any stress on your on your relationship as brothers? It's very difficult because Richard was living with his boyfriend, and being gay back in '91 was not that cool in a lot of areas. The the press in London were horrible. Uh, as they always are. Yeah, UK press was... The, the sun wasn't too bad. No, the sun wasn't too bad, but most of the UK press was pretty horrible. Mm. Started stalking Richard and his boyfriend a lot. Um, I went out on my own quite a lot because Rob was quite a reclusive guy, so I'd go out on my own quite a lot with mates. And yeah, it was it was great on the one hand because I could get any table in any restaurant, any club, 
and met a lot of beautiful women, which was fantastic. Um, but you know, that's a that's a, that has a that has a novelty aspect to it, which uh, you think after a while actually. Well, that's what, like, that's it, what you were saying. It kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. wears off after a while, and yeah. then then you realise you can't even go shopping. You can't actually. I've got, I'm down the garage to get him a wheel fix, and I've got that apparatchik, you know, all yeah. that sort of stuff. And that, that started getting a bit boring, and that's what I meant with the celebrity thing. We. So uh, in the UK, we became just household names really, really quickly. And, and the fame of the way we look and the band and, and, our, and our image started to overshadow anything we did musically. So uh, and, and we were turning up for loads of interviews and uh, sort of talk shows in America and all around the world. And in some cases, they didn't know what we did. They said, well, what do you guys do? You know, so we said, well, we're a band. Oh, we were just there because we, there's Venus somewhere. Yeah, so why did why you book us? We booked you because we saw you on Arsenio Hall or MTV or Howard Stern or whatever, you know. So there was this sort of domino thing going on. Nothing to do with what we wrote or sung or anything. No. And so, um, and that's why we started after about, after about nine months or 12 months, we started to think, you know, this, is a, this isn't what, exactly what we signed up for. Um, so we started to, you know, become a bit difficult and we weren't enjoying it. We started to, us and Rob started arguing a little bit, but we fell out with management and it was the like, usual story. The actually. usual story heard yeah. all before, yeah, yeah exactly. And, um, and yeah, we did, we were. I think what the problem was, we were never really a band. Me, Richard, and Rob wrote one song together, which was "I'm Too Sexy." The whole thing went mental. Then suddenly we had to become this band and this writing team, and we never had time to really go out on the road and work together and get mm. to know each other. So we were me, Richard, and Rob as a three piece were not very. Um, we didn't coalesce at no, all. No, no, with no chance yeah. to actually get to know each other. So we got to know each other in front of the cameras, and that wasn't a very pleasant experience for anybody. No. Um, also, you think it doesn't, it doesn't matter how old you are. You could be, you could break when you're 50, and you're still not ready. You think you're ready yeah. for, for the consequences of being successful, but actually you never are. And the, so there are some artists who I take my hat off to them because they are just amazing at being good at being famous. Some people are brilliant. Some people are just really yeah. good at being yeah. famous. And I... And I you know, I never really. You know that whole thing where you have to stand in front of the board with the with the name of the, the media cup, board. The yeah. media board. I, you know, I should love that. I mean, I, I should love it, but I just I just feel like a bit of a dick. I yeah. just do. Well, you know? I, I think a lot of times that is. I think that you know, people, most most artists. You know, I always say we're we're something we're we're a mix of we're insecure and we're narcissists. I mean, it's exactly. just something we both have that. So where we want want it and then all of a sudden when we start getting it we don't know how to react to it because we're like right. just like you said well if i enjoy this people are gonna go what a dick you know and yeah. so that, i think that's what happens yeah exactly yeah. i think yeah. that's absolutely true actually yeah, i think true. that is true yeah, yeah. i mean we, we we get um i'm better I'm, I'm better at it now than we both better at it now yeah, we are. than we were um, asking for when people in the early days when people came asking asking for autographs and stuff i rem, i can repeat i felt myself blushing i used to go bright red um, but now people are people are really nice. They're, 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 everybody's yeah. nice. Um, I'm, I've got we both got used to it, and uh, it doesn't bother us so much. But in the early days, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a car crash. Yeah, it's a big shift. It's a big learning it's curve. A big, it's a big shift. shift. Yeah, well, well, you said you said after I'm too sexy, you were getting booked on these shows, and people didn't know what you did. You know, because they yeah. were just. How does that make you feel as a as a songwriter? Because all you guys want to do is make music. It's not like you're sitting yeah. there going, "We want to be," you know 
on America's Got Talent. I mean, what, you know, how did it make you feel? And how did you sit there and start concentrating on writing music? Because I know the first song after I'm Too Sexy, if it's not like I'm Too Sexy, they're going to what is this? And then, yeah, you know, well, the think, next album, yeah. your fans are going to go, well, exactly. we, we want something we can dance to. How did you guys combat that? And how did you start developing it? Because like I said, you're my mate. It's a great song. Nothing like nothing no, like um no, too sexy no, but how did no, you start no, developing no. that writing style saying did you just say to yourself fuck it we don't want to write like i'm too sexy we just want to write that comes from our heart yes we knew we couldn't write we knew that we didn't want to write another i'm too sexy we knew that yeah um and sure we know how to really no and also you have to i think i think musicians should be a bit like sharks you just need to keep moving yeah you can't you know, you can't uh, continually rely on your back catalogue. I don't think you can. I think if you're creative, you have to, you know, you have to keep moving forward, you know? Yes. Um, I, I think I think so. Yeah. And, and that's what we try and do. So, and sometimes the songs work and sometimes they don't. But the one thing that we really enjoy... Oh, let me go and get that. I Sorry. I thought that. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Pause, Frank. We've got someone at the door. That's okay. That's no problem. Now, where, where are you guys at now? Where do you live now? Uh, we're in Windsor, in Berkshire, just um, just west of uh, west of uh, Heathrow. Okay. So yeah, so we we actually um, we got a place here uh, because we, London just became unbearable, and then um, uh, and we did this shortly before lockdowns. Uh, thinking we could be because we fly so much, and then <laughs> we were close to the airport, and then obviously all the flying stopped. So uh, that was kind of, that was kind of, kind of bizarre. But um, yeah, it's it's a very nice part of the world. It's, we're, we're very lucky. It's, yeah. a, it's a very beautiful county. Yeah, yeah. So what we were saying about the writing when you when you started, yes. you know, when you were sitting yes. there focusing, how did you start focusing again? We what we had was we we had we, we write a lot. So we uh, what happened was is I. I um, I had a, a title for a song called Don't Talk to Kiss. And we knew we wanted to use some house beats. We knew we wanted a similar backing track to Sexy, but not the same, uh, not the same writing. So what we did, we had this song and um, Rob had a riff, like a legato. Da, 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 da. So so uh, we put this Don't Talk to Kiss. Baby. So we wrote this, we put a dance track, a, a song over this sort of dance group. And... Uh, people were a bit unsure initially, but the song for us, did, uh, not so much in America, but certainly in, in Europe and Japan and South America, it just went mental. And certainly as big as sexy in certain countries, not, yeah. not in the States, but certainly did very well in Canada, did no, top five record over here. Better in Germany. Uh, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, sexy. Yeah, in some countries it broke us um, where sexy, where, where people didn't get the humour of sexy. Yeah. Don't Touch Us Kiss is much more, it's like a traditional kind of dance record, really. And um, so places like Germany, Benelux, uh, Japan, South America, that, that Don't Touch Us Kiss broke us in those countries. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Now, so it, it, it was very good to us. Well, Sexy was number one in the States, but it wasn't number one yes. in, in England. Okay. Does that, does that no, piss no. you off? Like, does you, as, as an artist, no. you sit there and go, Screw them! You know what? We're number no, one in the states. No. I, mean, I would always think you—you you always want to do good in your home area. But I mean, as an artist, what do you go through all of a sudden? Or if you have other songs that number one in Germany, number one here, but not number right. one in where you're from. I mean, does that do you just yes. not even care about that as long as you make money and people are enjoying your music? Exactly. I mean, yeah, the speed of "I'm Too Sexy" yeah. it, it, it caught everybody by surprise, no more so than us. So the fact we had this little record that everybody hated in. Um, 
in sort of January 1991, and then come August 91, it's just breaking out everywhere. We were we were more than happy. A top 20 record in in, a, in the UK would have been fine, and it was number two in, in the number two in the UK for about 10 weeks or something mad. I can't remember now. Uh, and then the following single, Deeply Dippy, was number one, and that was number one in the UK. I you have to remember where the album. where we were coming from. We were coming from being skint, yeah, absolutely nowhere. Yeah. So when and we've been asked this question before, obviously, and it is. You know whether it irritated us, and it and it really, really didn't. Because one of the things I do think about being number one is there's only one place to go after that. Right. <laughs> you can't keep going up. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, you know, it's, if I was Jason Aldean, I'd be thinking, oh my god, how am I going to follow this up? <laughs> yeah. There is an element of that when you have a big record. There's always an element of of what are we going to do next? Mm. Definitely, there is. Yeah. Now, now you, I was listening to your music yesterday, and you guys wrote a Christmas song. We did. Yeah, Tell we, me about we, that. We, I, I love Christmas songs. I'm one of these guys I grew up. I can listen, you know, being from New Jersey, Santa Claus is coming to town by Bruce Springsteen always means it's right. Christmas. I, I mean, it's something, right. and I've always loved watching MTV Christmas videos. What makes you decide to write a Christmas song? I always wonder because everyone loves, unless you're Jewish, and even Jewish people I'm friends with love Christmas songs, but everyone pretty yeah. much loves Christmas songs. But what makes like an artist sit there and go, you know what? You know, I know Lamal did one uh, two years ago and or three years ago. People right. just do. What made you guys decide to write a Christmas song? We were, did it in the sun. Yeah, we, we wrote it in Spain. In Spain. Uh, when it was boiling. And um, it was written because we were talking to a guy who's an animator called... Um, John uh, T. Weeble. Yeah, called Mr. Weeble. Mr. Weeble. He does animation mm. online. And um, a friend of his had a song title called, and it was You're the Best Thing About Christmas, because I think a girl, someone has said it to him, something... And um, he gave us the title, and we're sitting in Spain, and we're thinking, well, we should think about this because Christmas doesn't take. You, know, you have to set the record up. So we just wrote this, you know, da 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 da, da and it and it, it just worked. Then we did this sort of mad kind of, techno kind of but bonkers. And John T. wrote that we did these great lyrics with uh, Mr. Weevil about how, um, how what, you're you're happy, you're better than pants and socks and this whole th rap thing comes yeah, out yeah, in the yeah. middle of the record uh and we really like it we i just really i, I think the, the uh, animation was great and uh, it never got much attention over here any, but, uh, in fact yeah any, but uh, we, we, we're really proud of it i like that song a lot it also yeah. we, we consciously tried not to sexualize it yes so it could be about your dog or your, yeah. your fish tank or, yeah. or anything it's just because some people have things in their life which which that are really important to them but that are not necessarily partners now, do so you think? We, yeah. do, do you think because I'm too sexy, that, that has given you a creative pass to really experiment as you've gone on? Because it was it's such a different number one hit, and do you think that has Saturn? As you said, you added the stuff in the middle of the Christmas song. You think yeah, people yeah. say, "Hey, it's cool," because you know, Ray said Fred is hip. Like, do you think that that because that song was number one, it's given you? I know it's probably in the beginning it, it trapped you a little bit in what wanted to hear, but in the long yeah. run, as artists, do you think that's given you somewhat some creative freedom? It's certainly abroad. In, in the UK, not. Mm. In the UK, we're it's it's. Um, I, we personally both find the UK market very conservative. It's a very sort of blinkered market, really, compared to where we like what we like to do. So we we tend to find most of our support coming out of uh, Europe, really, in terms of we've given given the um, given the space to do stuff, and that's why we did "You're My Mate" because we really like the idea of this kind of drinking song yeah no, not you love know. not about love but no you know and friendship. Uh, we really like this sort of you know right. you know, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and that's what we wrote the song about it's about friendship and it's it's a drinking song really 
Um, and immediately says, all I want to do is get drunk here with you. That's the, you know, so, um, so I think it's certainly abroad. We, um, we, we, and also it's interesting the way our songs break. We, we were sent a video of your my mate from a, uh, a line dancing club in Texas. Yes. And they were doing line dancing to your it's my a mate. Gay line dancing. Gay line dancing, yeah. Yeah. And then we've got another song called Stand Up, and that just broke as a football song. So it's, you know, a sports song, really. So it's been in the World Cup, and the NFL have used it, and, yeah, all around the world. So it's interesting how a song has a journey. You can't really control that. You know, and so I'm sure. You know, when um, Jack White wrote um, Seven Nation Army, he yeah. never thought for a second it would be picked up by football fans. But it has. Yeah. Now, you, know. now you mentioned earlier in the, in the 90s, the, the press was very hard on you because you were gay. Okay? Yeah. yeah. Now, have you seen that change? Because, you know, we, we you know living in America, you know, we think that there's more acceptance. But then you go some places and you go, holy shit, there's no acceptance. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you do. You go, wait, what the, you know, I mean, I hear people say stuff like, what? What are, you, what are you, like, living in Kentucky? This is like Philadelphia. But for yeah. you, have, have you noticed, is it being more accepted? And did you have a huge gay crowd when they found out that you were gay? No. The, the, no. the record company felt that we assumed that we would have. Um, and we, we went, we did a gay, at a gay club in Blackpool, I think. And we actually got booed off because they thought I was a straight bloke taking the mickey out of gay people. So and all the fan letters uh, that I've, I personally have ever had have always been from, uh, you know, women or families, families or, or yeah, kids, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, I think I've had three gay fan letters in my entire life. Yeah. Um, so that's never, but it has, it has definitely changed. Although what I would say, as you, as you quite rightly say, it depends, a lot of it is postcode driven. So we live in Berkshire, uh, we're close to London. It's, it's a very middle class kind of area. Um, I, you know, if you, there are parts of London you cannot walk down now if you're two guys holding hands. Yeah, it'd be difficult. Or if you're a woman yeah. in a short dress, you just can't do it. Whether it's a Jewish area, the Muslim area, whatever it happens to be. Certain areas could be difficult. There are going to be, be there are going to be problems. Yes. But uh, in terms of the industry, I think it's much less of an issue than it was. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely true. And I don't think I think papers know that they that, that whole gay play bashing the gay thing is kind of people have had it i think i think it's kind of yesterday's yeah. news, yesterday's news really mm. so now, don't, now you, to... you came out with singles and you know you've, you've written a lot how do you think your writing style has changed since 91 like have you you know as you said at 50 sometimes you're never sure you're not prepared for a success but has has your writing grown do you feel it's grown as you've grown because we're not the same people we were 30 years ago and so i would think like for me i don't i don't do stand up much anymore but when i do my act's completely different from when, when i did it because i'm a different person i'm not and plus the, the climate's different and what you can say but yeah. we we've grown as writers have you guys grown do you think i mean do you sit there and go we really are our opinions are different when we write or how has your writing changed in the last 30 30 years and then even the last 20 years um, I think it's a bit more introspective on some occasions. Yeah, I think we there's some songs on the singles album, a song called Godsend, a song called During the Light is Love, a bit more retrospective, a bit more introverted. Um, but we are writing at the moment, and in fact, that what we're working on at the moment is is the opposite. That's a very you kind of utopia, hands in the air. You know, let's have a good time kind of dance track. Also, sometimes um, you just need to visualise in your head what do you want to write. Yes, yeah. You know, what do you actually want yeah, to write? Yeah. You know, we and we've uh, we we do try and with sexy it was, it was organic, and some of the songs are organic. You, they just happen. You come up with a little 
top line or a, or a lyric or whatever it is, and it grows from there. If you sit down consciously and have, right, we're going to start doing a bit of writing, it helps to have a bit of a thing in your head about where you're going, visualising the audience, visualising what makes you happy, what makes you gives you confidence to perform. It's, well, it's a mixture of things, you know. How do you, how do you share the writing? Because, you know, one's bass, one's guitar. You know, how do you, do you sit there, do you really now, you said, you know, do you really collaborate and sit down together? Or we're in a day and age now where you can go in one room and play something, you can go to one room and play something, and then you can just send files and all of a sudden, oh, boom, no. it's all together. But how, what is, your, what is your process now? Like who, who, is there someone who's in charge of the lyrics and someone who's more charge of the music or is it 50-50? I tend to do most of the lyrics, yep. generally, not always, but generally. And we collaborate very much 50-50 on the music. And quite often we write from bass lines. We're working on a track at the moment that's driven around a bass line Richard has got. Um, we write from guitar riffs quite often um, or little chord sequences. So one of us will have a, a, a germ of an idea and we just record it onto our smartphones generally. We, we write in a very old-fashioned way. We Neither of us are program, uh, programmers. We don't use garage band or anything like that. So we will literally just hum an idea onto a recorder, a recording device, and then we will take the bare bones of an idea. We normally do a, a, like a work in progress day in the studio where we map out, okay, we quite like what we've done there. We, and then we'll take it away and live with it. And then we'll uh, you know, maybe go back. And... So, so it, it's, it's, Rich and I tend to work quite closely on it. And if we don't agree on something, then generally the idea is not right. We tend to find that if we both agree, the idea tends to be yeah. in the right place. Also, I think from a songwriting point of view, I think it's quite good not to be really, uh, you know, familiar with all the technical paraphernalia that goes on. It, it forces you back onto the basics. I think if we were really proficient in the studio and, and one of us could program and the other could arrange, all that, I, I think the writing would get lost in the, in the technicalities of it. I think sometimes when it's just guitar and voice, if it doesn't stand up, it doesn't stand up. Yeah, we, we, we're quite we're quite primal in that way, aren't we? Because we, we yeah. tend to, it, it's you know, we, we work on chords later on. I mean, some of our chord patterns are incredibly basic, but like Buddy uh, Holly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, loads of good. What you mentioned, Jason Aldean. That's, Jason that, Aldean. That's a pretty cool choice. That's a, you know? Absolutely. And yeah. um, so I, I think we, sometimes we we stick with the original chord scenes. Other times we will think, you know, well, let's try and. Yeah, shift this around a bit, and so we'll you know look at look at our alternatives and uh, keys, and we particularly quite we spend a lot of time on the key because which is a bass baritone, so we have to consider the top note, the top end, uh, yeah. the top end, and we work down from that and see where we can see we see where we can live. Now, what made you decide yeah. to come out with a singles album at this point in your career? You've, I mean, you have had eight studio albums, is it eight or nine? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so what was yeah. it sit there because you know. Once again, you know, we always age ourselves. We grew up yeah, in yeah. the time of albums. You know, you go, you know, you, you play an album and it's great. Now, young people just buy tracks, so it makes sense to have a singles album because you sit there and go, oh, we love these songs. But did it, why now? I mean, because you could have done it a few years back. You could have done it a different time, but was it just something you cool. said, this is what we want to do? Because you're still writing. It's not like you're sitting there going, this is our swan yeah. song. We're getting the hell out of here. But why, why did you decide to come out with that now? Well, we were asked to. Um, yeah. the, uh, the company called Plastic Head, British um, independent distribution company, and they do our merch. And they said we're getting asked a lot if you've got, if you've got like um, some stuff coming out, and particularly kind of reworks or re-records of, of of your biggest hits. And we hadn't even thought about it. We hadn't even considered. It. And he said, I think there's a, you know, he said, well, yeah, it's, it's not going to go, 
it's not going to be this tsunami of success. He said, but there's enough interest to warrant doing it. And um, and so so we did. So we kept the recording budget because we pay for it. We're independent, so we pay for everything. Kept the recording budget really low. Uh, we got in there. We used some songs we've already worked on. We were previously done in the last few years and then we re-recorded sort of the biggest tracks and did the whole thing in about eight days then mixed it off um and that's why we did it really it was yeah. it, it was it, it was it was their interest and and the response in europe has been really good with with um we're going over to berlin to a couple of press days and yes yeah, so the response over there has been great so yeah. we're, we're, we're pleased we did it yeah well it, and we, we were determined not just to do a remix i mean some bands just you know, they make a remaster. big or remaster or whatever it is. You know, I can't. It's, it's, a, cop it's out. a cop out, basically. We just we we wanted, we wanted to partly because we've been doing these songs live, and we had little ideas had come to us while we were doing that. We wanted to commit them to tape, so to speak. And um, so, actually, re-recording some of these songs was really good. And also, half the album is songs that nobody's heard yeah. because we've been recording and writing throughout this whole pandemic nonsense. And um, yeah. And so, you know, radio wasn't interested in playing anything we anything new we had. So we wanted to put it on the album. That's what mm. we did. Now you also you had a book come out. Now tell me, tell me yes, you know, I mean, because <laughs> I always, you know, I'm I'm someone, you know, I'm, I'm in the business world too, and people will sit there and go, oh, I'll be in a networking thing, and I'll go, oh yeah, I read this bit, and they tell a business book, and I'm like, oh, I have no idea what that is. I say, yeah, I read the Motley Crue book. It was great. You know, I said, if I want to read, I want to be entertained. I don't want to hear about right, yeah. some motivational bullshit because it that doesn't affect me. What made you guys decide to write a book? And I, I want you to tell me after you tell me why. I want you to each tell me and condense a really good story from the book <laughs> okay watch out I, we were, we, we were <laughs> you can say whatever you want <laughs> okay we were writing a book about eight nine years ago and then the lady we were working with became unwell and so um, and, and she was a very, very sweet lady and so we and, and then we went oh, yeah, that's we lost momentum then we went back on the road and Forgot about it. Then there was. Then we got a. Uh, I got a Facebook message from a guy called Joel McIver, and Joel writes um, rock biographies, that's, and he does reviews and everything. He's a bass player, does loads of music stuff. But doing music biographies uh, is one of his things. And he said, "Have you ever thought of doing it?" And I said, "I told him the story where we were, then it stopped." And he said, "Well, why don't?" He said, "I think I can, I can get you a book deal with this, and I think we should look at it." So that was it. So but Joel and sat and met up with Joel. He said, "This is how we're going to do it." So we. We went out to where, where was the place we went to. Then we went to Devon, Otterton. Yeah, Otterton in Devon, which is southwest England. Mm -hmm. And we went down there for a week in a in a little cottage. Literally did about seven hours. We did twenty five thousand words. That I think we spoke twenty five thousand, thirty thousand words, which he then puts into an app, and the app does gets it right about eighty percent, ninety percent of the time. Yeah. And then he put the book together. Then we edited it bit by bit with him. And, and that was it, really. We we, we knew that uh, it's it's you know, we, but most of it's being sold through the website. We, we did a book tour that went well, um, and um, we've, you know, we 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 said yeah, it's done all right actually, considering it was pretty a pretty low profile release. Yeah, you know, but but it's it, it's done well. We, we were very happy with it. And yeah. we, it it was absolutely truthful. We didn't make anything up. No, we didn't. No, no. no. So tell me, tell me a good, each of you tell me a good story. scandalous story. Yeah. I love, I love <laughs> rock roll. It could be sex, drugs, right. rock roll. I love that kind of shit. That's what, right. that's what I live for. I shall, I shall leave it to you. There's a couple. All right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's have a think. Um, right. We were in um, Austria, I think it was, and we're doing this gig, and there's a meet and greet afterwards, and this, there's a very beautiful young girl there with her mum, and I can remember the 
girl's name. I can't remember what it was. The girl's name was Bianca. And, she, and we find out that she's 14, just about to come up 15. And the mum and um, the, our tour manager, he says, uh, you better have a chat with her. There's something weird going on here. So we say, well, okay. So we start chatting. And uh, the, the mother says, uh, Bianca, right in front of her daughter, says, Bianca is becoming very sexually aware. And it would make us all very happy if her first sexual experience could be to sleep with you and Richard. So are we going, right? She's 14. <laughs> Problem for that. Problem with that. Yeah, she's 14. <laughs> I don't go, yeah, not really my, 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 my cup of tea, really, no. Andre Sex. So um, we said, well, I don't think that's going to work, really, see. And uh, I thought, you yeah, know, very, very complicated, very complicated. Uh, we're very attracted to to you and your daughter. You're both lovely, but obviously we, we can't even get, get involved in that. Then the dad walks in. Suddenly in his midweek, the dad walks in. So we think, oh, my God, it's all going to kick off. And he's going to start, you know, whacking out and start, start trying to whack us and want to fight. He's right up for it. He is totally on board. <laughs> Have you spoken to the boys? Do they want to? Do they want to embrace Bianca and take her into this sort of, you know, this threesome sort of um, break her? You, you uh, 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 lose her virginity, right? So, friend. At which point we said to our two man, "You've got to get us out here. This, 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 this is a whole lot of wrong right in front of us right now." Exactly. And so we, um, yeah, so 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 we got out of that. I mean, there, there's a lot of sort of, yeah, we were held at gunpoint in Lithuania. Uh, because I called the promoter an arsehole because... Um, pound is the worst thing, this worst thing you can say, say out there. I ripped us off for about 17, 18,000 pounds. I was pissed off, so I put him up against the wall. It's his backstage. I said, you're a I you know, start shouting. I've been drinking about this. Start shouting at him. And the next minute, all we do, we've got these guys coming in with Doberman, suddenly it's all this, <laughs> and I've got a rifle pointing in my head like this, and... and uh, Think well, this is this has gone wrong. <laughs> this isn't great. So then I phoned our agent, and he said, "Do you feel safe?" So he said, "No." And he said, "Well, you got to do the show and get out of there." And he said, "As soon as you get home," he said, "Don't sleep overnight. Just pack your stuff and get to the get to the airport." He said, "Because you're no longer safe on the in in." Uh, I think it's Lithuania. Yeah, well, we've got a friend who's yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, a guitarist, and most of his gigs were in Russia. Um, and uh, he now there's no gigs for him in Russia because it's deemed to be too dangerous. Yeah. Um, in fact, we were in when we before this other nonsense happened, we were in Russia d doing a, a private party for an oligarch out there, which was itself was really bizarre. But um, the day after, which was a beautiful hot sunny day on a Saturday, I think it was, um, the local promoter said, "Do you want to go?" Tattoo were playing. You know the the, the band Tattoo. They were playing in, in some fair or something. Some, Would yeah. you like to go down and watch? So we thought, yeah, 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 okay, you know, we'll go down and watch. And so we go down, and the minute we get out of the van, the van shoots off. So we're, we're stranded in the middle of Moscow, and right within arm's reach, there are two guys with the sort of traditional Russian hats and their arms folded. They've got masks on. And they've got masks on, singing sort of Volga Boatman type. Traditional Russian stuff. I thought it was a uh, an anti-pollution um, demonstration because they had masks on, which I'm really thick. And Fred said, "No, this is an anti-gay thing. That's yeah. what that's what this this is anti-gay thing." So um, we were told it was a it was a it was a pro-liberty pro-liberty Yeah, which it wasn't really. And when, no. and the two guys, there were lots of local TV pointing the cameras at these two guys at the scene. And when we jumped, when we got out of the van, the van shot off. They noticed we were there, and that all the cameras swung round to photograph us. And that really pissed the other two blokes off. Yeah. And with a, within a heartbeat, they were all belting the living crap. Yeah, they sucker punch Richard. Then I got help from behind, and I was getting kicked and punched and everything. So Richard's glasses fell off, and my bag fell off. So we and we've been to, we've been to Russia before. You do not pick a fight 
uh, with ex-military with ex-military no. or anything you just don't and um so we grabbed our stuff and legged it <laughs> and it turned out i don't know if you've ever watched benny hill dun, 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 dun. <laughs> it was, was that it was we we, we, <laughs> we were running up the street and i look around we've got these neo-nazi guys after us we've got camera crew after us at the back is our tour manager trying to catch up so you've got all these <laughs> people running up the high street. Running up the high street. And suddenly we I can't remember how this happened now, but we saw two coppers and we know yeah, it's about, it's quite a corrupt part of the world. So we gave the coppers some money and we said we're in trouble, these guys are chasing us. And they said, Go in there. They sort of pointed at this restaurant. So we'd go into this restaurant that was closed, but they'd opened up. And so we hid at the back of this Italian restaurant, and these two coppers just lumped these uh, guys who were chasing us. They just whacked them with their bats. And, uh, and we, we stayed in the, then the tour manager caught up with us, because um, the coppers told him where we were. Yeah. And um, then we had to get, uh, we had to get back to the hotel, grab our stuff, and then get to the airport. But it was, it, it was all over the news, it was all over the UK press, and, and the interesting thing, loads of people said it was a it was um, a gay rights thing. It wasn't really. It was a civil rights, freedom of speech kind of t- um, uh, protest. And what we found out, the reason we got beat up off, it was neo Nazis who don't like anything. Anything. Um, they. Um, it was also that the um, the mayor of Moscow apparently hadn't given it a license. Yeah. So the reason the police were particularly aggressive and the whole thing went wrong really quickly is because it wasn't actually legal. He refused to give it a license. We weren't told that. We just t- we were just told it was this. We were led to believe it was this sort of fate with people. You know, it was that's what I thought of you. Yeah, with, with ice creams and bouncy castles. <laughs> and they they steamed into us, man. Now you guys, yeah. you guys had a really interesting life really interesting career what is your highlights what is what to you what is the highlight of your career each of you address this what i mean was it getting a number one hit was it maybe you know falling in love was it being successful what to each of you what was the is the highlight of your career i think well for me it was going back to germany with a hit record in 2001 Mm -hmm. because that was us proving the point um, because yes. between 2001 and 94, 95, 96, we were dead in the water. Um, and so that was, a. I remember that very, very clearly. The, the child positions have never given me a, no. a, a woody, really, not really. We, we, were, we, in, um, we were in Miami in uh, uh, late February, early March, 92. That was good. Too, mm-hmm. And we'd hired a car. And we dropped in Coconut Grove and we were trying to get downtown in Miami. We didn't know where we were going. And, uh, and, and one of us is um, um, surfing on the radio. And we literally just heard, we, we got a good signal, and it said, this week's number one is right, said February, and I'm too sexy. And that was a really special moment. Because when you actually hear, you know, your record company can tell you, but yeah. when, you when you actually hear on the radio, DJ going, this is America's number one, that was that, that made me think, Jesus, yes, yes. That's pretty serious. And also, I think some of the working with a charity called Last Wishes and, and Dreams, which is terminally ill kids who uh, want their want their favourite thing to happen before they die. And this one kid we met um, had cancer, about nine years old, and he wanted all our T-shirts and our CDs and photos all buried with him. And that is really special. Stuff like that. Stuff is like really... that is really extraordinary yeah. I, I think and when you can when you can touch someone whatever yeah. people think of what you know you're always going to have your haters and the rest of them but there are moments in in i'm sure it's every artist i'm sure they have their own stories but, but that was excuse me that was really 
quite quite uh, quite quite emotional really. yeah yeah it, yeah it was yeah <laughs> i think i think a lot of uh and also it's just the with, because of a track that it's weird i think this difference between what punters feel and what the business feels about that track punters like it because it just cheers them up if they have lots of memories about dancing in, in pubs with their girlfriends or whatever it is you know the industry a little bit like psy uh, I think, and then that, that problem he had, whatever, Gangnam, it was Gang, Gangnam Style. It was one of those songs that punters absolutely People loved. Like, yeah. People liked it, but the business turned its nose up at it because it just wasn't sophisticated. It wasn't Tom York. It wasn't, you know what I mean? So I think there's a real, and I remember many years ago, I remember seeing Dustin Hoffman talking on, on a TV show, an interview. He says, you'll never get an Oscar for a comic role. It'll never happen. Yeah. And I true. think there's an... There's an element of that about sexy. You won't get plaudits for that kind of song. Yeah. You just won't. I mean, one thing that we think about quite a lot, we've co-written four American uh, number one records. We're us, Taylor Swift, Drake and Beyonce. And we've never been um, no, never been nominated for Grammy, ever. And I always think that's really They've weird. They've never even man. mentioned it in the UK. It's really weird. And <laughs> in the UK, they don't, Forget they, it. They, they don't even talk about it. No. No. They would rather us just uh, so we, disappear into the sunset. Yeah, so we, we, we're quite used to... Um, uh, being, being on the fringes, yeah, we are. Mm. Yeah, yeah. it is irritating. I, I have one final question for you guys. What's the future? What's the future, right? What do you guys see in the next five years? You said you're writing. Where would you like to see? You know, are you going to tour? Or what are you guys going to do? Because you know, you see, it's 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 a time everyone after the pandemic, everyone wants to see music, concerts are yep. packed, people are just having fun. What are you guys going to do? What's what's your five year plan? Five year plan with um is to go, go back on the road. With a live band. Yeah, we just want to go out and start playing. We've we've um uh we thought we could do it this year, had a few things get in the way. We're actually now literally just talking to a brand new European agent and promoter and um and the same in the UK. So we expect to be out next year. We just want to do a lot of shows. Not really bothered about much else really. We we we'll definitely do more writing, definitely recording, mm. but the the immediacy of the artist in front of the audience is what we've missed a lot. And also just to have a band that you really like. Yeah, it's playing man. just to get a band together that you just really, really like, you know. Yeah. Um and, and it's making the sound that you like. Yes. That's uh, it's a real if we you know when it comes to the point when I'm I'm sitting in some care home somewhere and I'm putting put my feet up staring at the sea. If I've done that, if I've got if if I can look back and not I've got that was a really good band. That, yeah. That would be my I think that, that's, that's my thing. Yeah, I think that would be um I think that's, that's so I've got six months. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, this has been awesome, guys. You guys are great. People go check out their website, rightsetfred.com. Go get the album, the singles, go read their book. Uh, go to my website, coopertalk.net. You can find over 965 episodes. You can email me at cooper at coopertalk.net. Twitter, I'm at coopertalk. Instagram, at coopertalk1. What are your guys' Twitter's uh, handle? Twitter is at the Freds. Um, Instagram is right, so Fred official. Facebook is right, so Fred official. Um, that, yeah, that's it, yeah. 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 So people, check them out. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you next time. Thanks,